Bald Man Campus is presented by QuickBooks. New business? No problem. Success starts with the Do-It QuickBooks. Learn more at QuickBooks.com. That's QuickBooks.com. Bald Men on Campus. With Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. Sweet 16 upon us. And uh, we have a very sweet 16. Bitter for some teams that are not there. So, hey, let's get right into it. Because you know what? These, we have really good games. And uh, I mean, this is this. I, I, the opening round is is the best weekend of the year. Although, I, if I had to put it in order, I'd say championship week, opening round of the NCAA tournament. But basically, right now, when you get to the Sweet 16, the stakes are really high because you're two wins away and everyone's had a two-game win streak away from getting to the Final Four, the ultimate goal you know, to compete for a national championship. Let's start with the West. Rub those bald heads like crystal balls and take a look into the future. Got Gonzaga in Arkansas, Texas Tech in Duke. Gonzaga in Arkansas, just off the top of your head, Fonzarelli, what's your gut? What's your feeling? What's the key? Yeah, I have the Zags uh, moving on there. Too, too, too much firepower. Uh, Drew Timmy obviously took that game over in the second half against Memphis. I think he's problematic inside. I know Jalen Williams will be uh, – it'll be interesting to see which way. I imagine Jalen Williams is going to guard him uh, on the interior. And uh, I love J.D. Note. That dude can absolutely get buckets. But I do think teams who have been able to take him out of the game by not – once he gives it up, by not allowing him to catch it, catch it back, uh, makes them play four and four on the backside – and I, I think Arkansas is a little bit easier to prepare for in that sense. And I think the Zags will do the same. Uh, Ryan Nemhard, I say that every time. Ryan Nemhard is Creighton. Andrew Nemhard is going to be really important uh, for, for Gonzaga to win a national title because they need his offense and his aggressiveness from the point guard position. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I like Gonzaga in, in in that region, and I have from the beginning. Doesn't mean they're going to win, obviously, but um, but against Arkansas, like Arkansas, uh, shot twenty seven percent against New Mexico State. They clamped down. Teddy Allen did a tremendous job. They won that game. What, what was it? Fifty three forty five or something. I mean, it was it was obscenely low scoring. Uh, but they dominated Arkansas dominated the free throw line, but they're not going to, you know, you're not going to hold Gonzaga under, you know, under 75. So you're going to have to be much more efficient offensively. And I think it, it it's going to come down to, to does Gonzaga really guard them? Because I'm not, I, I'm not sure Gonzaga is the same defensive team. Now they were two months ago mm-hmm. and they're going to have to be, uh, because I, I think Arkansas can score. Uh, and Stanley Mude's had some really good games. Um, I, I think Devo Davis is a really good player. They've got talent and, and athleticism that they're not a great shooting team. And, you know, but, but they knocked their free throws down against New Mexico state, but man, you're going to have to, you're going to have to guard at every position, not get in foul trouble and then put points on the board. Cause, cause Gonzaga is going to keep coming uh, and they're going to take open shots and they're going to get in the lane. Gonzaga, I think, had 62 points in the paint in their last game, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah, 62. That's incredible. And yeah. they're, they're, they're formidable on offense. And if they, if they guard, um, I just don't – I think it would be really tough for Arkansas. 
Yeah, I've got Gonzaga. And, I, you know, Drew Timmy, we spend all our time talking about how good Chad Holmgren is in terms of his potential. But the two most important players to me for Gonzaga are, are Drew Timmy, uh, who's not a good, he's, you know, a player of the year candidate in terms of uh, college basketball. And and Andrew Nebhardt. I mean, when Andrew Nebhardt's aggressive, he's really, really, they're really, really good. I mean, it, I, like a few, we always talks. He wants him to attack. He says he's so good off that ball screen. The more aggressive he is, the better off Gonzaga is. And I, I think the one thing about Arkansas, they do get to the line and they put you in foul trouble. Can Arkansas get a Nebhard in foul trouble? Can they get a Timmy in foul trouble? Because their free throw rate is at a very, very high level. But I got Gonzaga winning that one. And we got Texas Tech and Duke. And I'll start with you, Jay. I mean, Texas Tech, obviously, the more physical the game is going to be, the uglier it's going to be, the more it's going to be a fist fight. Obviously, it's an advantage. Just in general, philosophically, you think Texas Tech can keep Duke on, on one side, or do you think Duke's going to play through that middle third? I think they'll try to play through the middle of the court, but Texas Tech is really – they're a, an excellent defensive team, not just the pressure they put on the ball, but their help side is really good. And when they right. rotate, when they double, I think they call it fire, when they when they uh, you know do their defensive rotations, all those things, they come over with with force. I mean, it is not just somebody being in the right position. They come over to impact you, and they do it physically. They go after the ball. Uh, it, it'll be a different feeling that Duke will have against Texas Tech than they've had in some some past games. And uh, I just wonder, can can the Red Raiders score enough points? Like, I think Kevin O'Banner can really score, and I think Bryson Williams can can score. He's proven that against Kansas. And they can play in some up-tempo games. But they're going to have to shoot better than than four of fifteen from three to beat Duke, and they're going to have to put up more than sixty points or whatever they scored against Notre Dame. Uh, it, it's going to have to they're going to have to ratchet things up on the offensive end, be way more efficient because Duke Duke can put points on the board, and and I don't think you're going to hold them into the sixties. I, I I think I think you're going to have to win the game up in the seventies. Yeah, I have. Uh, advancing there and Jay you, you made a great point early and we all talked about it going into the NCAA tournament for the Big 12 as a whole how would their defense be officiated in the NCAA tournament and the reality is it's being officiated at the same level that it was when they were playing in the Big 12 and so because of that physicality that's going to be an issue for Duke and and because of that I, I do think that it's actually going to be a lower scoring game for Duke and that favors Texas Tech. Bryson Williams presents some problems for them as well because of his inside out uh, ability. And uh, Kevin McCuller, I think he's due to make some shots. He hasn't played as well, I don't think, on the offensive end that he's capable of. But I do think that physicality issue and the way the refs will call that game, and if it's consistent with the way that they called it throughout the NCAA tournament, that favors Texas Tech. So I have Texas Tech moving on there. Have you guys have you guys heard in the last several years coaches, whether it's in their halftime interview going off or out of the huddle or all this stuff, um, even post game, talk about physicality as much as they are this year? I mean, it has been I, I hear that all the time and the stuff I hear privately, yes. uh, which I can't repeat. Um, but but in 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 their public interviews, there's been more talk about we need to be more physical, the physicality of this game, physicality. Some of the stuff that's being allowed now would not be allowed on a, on a wide receiver in football. And and like that Baylor, North Carolina game was incredible. What what was allowed? 
and what went uncalled. Um, but but just what the coaches are saying to me is a pretty good indication, what they're saying publicly, pretty good indication that Texas Tech is going to be able to do the same things that that Big 12 teams, Big 10 teams have done and all, all, all the leagues have done all year long with regard to, to being overtly physical in these games without fouls being called. I think they can be physical. Here's the deal is, is if Duke defends, Duke's mm-hmm. winning this game. Because if Duke defends, they're going to be able to play ahead of the defense. If Duke defends, they're going to create turnovers because at times Texas Tech turns it over. If Duke defends, they're going to be able to uh, force contested shots. I think the big question is if Duke rebounds. They're right. going to have to rebound the ball. I mean, if they can rebound and clear it, they're going to play. You talked about Fonz about wanting them to play faster. Yes. Um, you know, Jeremy Roach, they'll play faster if they can get a stop. And and then when he starts pushing it, all of a sudden you're going to see those wings, you know, respond. To me, this whole thing comes down to really Duke not settling, getting those pay points, not settling, packing. And I think they're going to attack the middle of the floor with Bancaro. They have a couple of sets where they catch him. They, they clear out the backside. They run that little Iverson cut and dive, dive uh, one of the post guys to the other side and, and, and create that, that drive. And then Duke in terms of special situations. The play that I thought was a big play in the Duke-Michigan State game, and the light bulb went on. The last play of the first half, they ran the elevator play and slipped Mark Williams to the front of the rim. You need to make those plays in the NCAA tournament. You need to make those plays to in a close game. You need to have something in your back pocket where you can steal a basket. So you know, I, I think Duke's going to move on from that region. I think that they'll handle the physicality. But they will punch Paul Bancaro in the face. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the next. Let's go to the, let's that would go be to a foul. East. Wouldn't that be a foul? That would be a warning. Maybe not. Maybe a warning. Carolina, UCLA. <laughs> Carolina, UCLA. Before we digress with Billis soliloquy on officials. Two of the blue spots in college basketball. Yes. Carolina, we talked uh, about the other podcast that we had recapping of just how well they're playing, how hard they're playing, the guys that are having an impact in the game. UCLA, no Jaime Hawkins. If he is out, that is huge because the the Manic-Hawkins matchup just in general kind of intrigues me. But Jaime Hawkins is one of the most important players for UCLA. When he's good, UCLA is good. Where do you guys uh, see that game? I agree with you that if Hawkes doesn't play or plays at, at uh, a reduced capacity, that it's it's huge advantage North Carolina. But honestly, I think if North Carolina plays without anybody getting in foul trouble, like they did it, you know, like they did against Baylor with Caleb Love fouling out and then uh, Brady Manick getting tossed, uh, I think as long as they keep their main guys in there, they're they're the better team. Honestly, right now they they weren't throughout the course of the season. But but they Baycott's going to be a handful like there's not any one player that's going to keep him off the glass and he's consistently rebound. I mean, I think it, what is it? It's, it's either like 28 double yeah, doubles, so. which is a Carolina record. The Carolinas had some pretty damn good big guys over the years. And Armando Baycott's got 28 double doubles. I mean, that's ridiculous how how good he's been. Um, so I, I actually favor Carolina to win that game. I had UCLA moving on in my original bracket. Uh, but I, I would favor Carolina right now. Same, Jay. Going into you know, when we made our original brackets, I actually had Baylor beating North Carolina. But with the way North Carolina is playing, uh, it just so and they and they've shown the ability because I've always felt that 
North Carolina went as Caleb Love went. Now they've just shown that they're <laughs> they beat a really good Baylor team without him having to be the focus or the center of attention on the offensive end. And with the way that they're playing, and again, with Brady Manick playing at the level that he's playing on both ends of the floor, I think it puts a lot of pressure on UCLA's defense. And uh, no one's been able to stop Brady uh, Armando Baycott on the interior. And I just don't think that they have enough bigs to throw at him and to keep him off the offensive glass. So like you, Jay, I had UCLA advancing to the Elite Eight but uh, I think North Carolina is going to beat UCLA. Yeah, it's, it's, I think they're going to. I think they're going to try to defend Baycott early, and then stay between him and the basket with Miles Johnson and, and Cody Riley. I mean, and make him score over the top. Which you know, I think if you take away angles from Baycott, and then you're in position to cut him out and block out, I, I think that that impacts him. We we talk about Caleb Love. I think the most important guy in uh, Carolina is RJ Davis. I think I, it used to be mm-hmm. Caleb Love. Yes, because he was he was so hit and miss in his decision-making and his shot selection. The ball in R.J. Davis's hand takes half of that away because he only gets it when he's in position to score. He doesn't get it where he has to make decisions. He doesn't get it where he, now he's got to decide, what do I run the team or, or, or do I be selectively aggressive? He's just, he's just aggressive because he's got someone else running the team and getting other guys involved. I mean, you look at the points per game with R.J. Davis in control, it's gone way up. Yes. Consistency has gone way up because, to get, you know, you've got someone who's, who's actually run the game. If Jaime Hawkins doesn't play, no chance. If he plays, I'm going to pick – if he's healthy, uh, I think UCLA can win this game. I think, the, I think what they'll try to do – I don't know if they can do it. I think they'll try to make R.J. defend and try to get him out of the game because if you get R.J. out of the game, they don't have a point guard. Mm-hmm. You know, try to make him defend, and then I think they'll try to – you know, if they can, try to move Carolina – and then once they move him, then put Baycott ball screens and really, really attack him, really attack him. So right. instead, instead of just getting into the ball screen action or whatever, move them, make them guard both sides, which they can do out of some of their actions, then get that ball screen. Now, all of a sudden, you've moved Baycott a little bit. You've pulled him away. Now you attack him. Uh, so I, I think, look, I, to me, that's the game I'm most excited about seeing. I, I just think it's going to be a fun game to watch. Purdue St. Pete. St. Pete's been an unbelievable story, let's face it. I mean, it's been fun to watch. But, you know, my gut feeling, I think all of our gut feelings is, is you know, Noah's arc is a little bit too tough. Uh, what's your guys' take? Yeah, way too much size, Seth. Way, 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 way too much size. And uh, I know we've been critical in, of their defense, uh, Purdue, and deservedly so. But, you know, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady are just matchup nightmares. And, I love St. Peter's. I love the toughness and the moxie that they play with. Doug Eater, his fun coming off the bench with his ability to knock down threes and get in the lane and his pull-up J. But I think that's a big ask against a uh, Purdue team who has so much size on the interior. I feel the same way you guys do about about Purdue beating St. Peter's. The Purdue's the better team. They're bigger. Uh, they've got a superstar in, in Jaden Ivey. But I would imagine St. Peter's is going to have to play some of the you know, change things up. I think they'll have to do it just to protect the paint, protect the basket. But, you know, hey, a team that beat Kentucky, who knows, maybe lightning strikes twice. But but I uh, I favor Purdue big in this one. Yeah, I'd say Pete's only chance is to, is to spread Purdue out. I mean, really spread them. I, I don't think Purdue's going to buy into that. I think they're going to play basically toast to the three-point line, use their size, 
and keep everything in front, force a contested shot. They're going to have to go out and play against that matchup. So, but they're also going to have to play against a little bit of pressure. Now, here's the question I ask for you guys. I thought St. Pete's guards got up and underneath uh, Kentucky's guards and pushed them out. Can they push out the guards of Purdue? I say no, because I don't think you, you know, you, you get up and underneath Jaden Ivey, he's going by you. And then when yes. he goes by you, he's going to make a play. So, yeah, I've got Purdue winning that game. Uh, I do think it's going to be an interesting watch in a lot of ways because the one thing about these St. Pete guys, and, and I, those dudes expect to win. Right. I mean, they, they, they're, they're just balling. I mean, you know, how they celebrated beating Murray State, they weren't jumping up and down. They weren't going all over the place. They were just like, all right, that's our next opponent. And I know they lost 11 games. And I know they shouldn't be there. And I know that they've got, you know, a lot of things, you know, they, they've got good, tough, you know, Jersey and city kids. But those guys, it's like they have next. All right. They're waiting and, you know, they're waiting at Citywide or they're waiting, they're waiting at the Rucker or they're waiting at West 4th Street. They got next. And all of a sudden, you know, pretty good teams out there. And they're saying, all right, let's go. Let's go kick their ass. And, yeah, which is great. Uh, and which that's is just the mindset. But but the odds of them doing that aren't good against a Purdue team that's going to probably take better care of the basketball. The guards are going to play a little bit better. Ivy can take over the game and uh, they can and shoot. Ha- and they have yeah, they can shoot it. They can shoot it better, and and they have more time to understand that St. Pete is good. They're not going to have to sell them. Well, St. Pete's really good. You got to be ready to play because uh, they've seen St. Pete is good and good enough to beat Kentucky. They've got obviously their, their team. You know, Matt's got his team's attention. But you know what? You know what's one of the things that's really interesting. I, I mean, I I get the fact that uh, there are a lot of people that love seeing Cinderella, and the the truly the only Cinderella in this tournament now is is Saint Saint Peter's. They're the only yeah, one. Hundred percent. Everybody everybody else has been there before, and they are all big shots. Um, whether they've had uh, you know middle of the Big Ten season like Michigan or all that, Michigan's been in the championship game two times in the last like six seven years, whatever it is, or ten years. The, the the thing that that sometimes I push back on is this idea that, you know, the, the St. Peter's players, they want to win more. And like, are people looking at at these handshake lines when you got these these uh, high seated players that are crying their eyes out after they lose these games? Mm-hmm. Like 50 percent of the, the, the teams that play in this tournament lose in a game. Half of them lose. And all but one lose a game or, you know, so it's crushing. It's crushing. And, and just because a player goes to gets recruited, like the, you know, we say these St. Peter's kids, they weren't recruited by all these teams, you know, that, that somehow the ones that were recruited don't want it as bad. I don't, I don't believe that for one second, because we've seen the highly recruited players that are going on to the NBA crying their eyes out after they want to win. Yeah. yeah, totally well, agree. Kennedy Chandler of Tennessee was emblematic of that. Yeah. That's unconsolable after they lost to Michigan the other day. That, that tells you how much that kid wanted it. They want to win. Let's go to the South. Arizona, obviously, number one seed against Houston. Uh, you know, I'm, I was wrong on Houston. I'm um, just flat out. They freaking are good. I mean, and I'll tell you what, Sheed, Shed and, and, and Moore have been terrific with Kyler Edwards. Uh, you know, top 10 in offensive defensive efficiency. I always joke, that means they get a good shot and you don't. They could own the tempo of the game offensively and defensively. They rebound the crap out of the ball. 
they're going to they're a better version of TCU, a team that just had a chance to beat Arizona. So what's your guys take on that one? Houston is maybe the toughest team in America, mental, physical, you name it. To, to go what they to go through what they've been through this year of losing Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark and to bust out of the roles that they've had where the big guys have had to do more, whether it's Josh Carlton or whatever, um, you know, Fabian White, Reggie Chaney, and then they they step onto the floor. There's not a game they go into where they don't have the best athlete on the floor, and that's Tajay Moore. That dude is the best athlete in every Houston game I've seen. He had 21 and seven against Houston. And then, and then Jamal shed is tough as nails, like yep. off that high ball screen. When he was shooting those floaters against Illinois, um, you could see it frustrating Illinois because uh, they couldn't, they couldn't stop him. And these guys are, they're like a motorcycle game. And, and, you know, that walks into a bar and just knocks that knocks the hell out of people. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, in a good way, like they are, they're, they're tough as nails and yes. they, they, like, and the offensive rebounding is going to be the whole game <laughs> that if Arizona cannot grab a defensive rebound, like they gave up 20 offensive rebounds to uh, TCU. And that's the main reason TCU was TCU played great. That's the main reason they, they had a chance to win that game. And, uh, and if, if they do that with Houston, Houston will beat them. I like you guys. I, I didn't undervalue them necessarily. I just felt that Illinois would play better. And they took the Illinois guards absolutely out of that game. They were physical with Kofi Coburn, who, who you know usually just dominates when he catches that basketball two feet in the paint. They were able to push him off his block a little bit more and limit him. And the matchup that I'm looking forward to seeing is Taze Moore and Ben Matherin. I mean, Ben Matherin is a projected uh, high lottery pick now, went for 30 in their last game and was one of the reasons along with Coloco that they were able to advance over TCU. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup. I had actually Illinois beating Houston in my, in my bracket, but I love the way that Houston's playing right now. And Jay, I agree with you. If Arizona cannot defensive rebound to basketball Houston beats them but I feel like they'll make that adjustment one of the reasons why uh, they were so good uh, Houston against Illinois in their offense was uh, Shed did a great job of taking advantage of that drop coverage that they were playing with Kofi Coburn I think because of the mobility of the Arizona bigs they'll be able to mix that coverage a bit that uh, uh, eliminate Shed's ability with his pull-up game. And so I have Arizona winning that game in a close one moving on. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I flipped on this. I, I could see Houston winning this game. I could I see Houston. And I, I agree with you to drop coverage. I, and and Coloco's a very good ball screen defender. They could even switch it in a short clock situation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. That's what they did actually when we were out there against Oregon. Now, Coloco, you know, ended up switching that that one that one five or two five or three five screen. Houston tempo, I don't think I don't see him giving up transition baskets. I just look at Houston and TCU. I think Houston's a, even a tougher version of TCU. So I you know I, I can see I can see Houston win that game. Now this next one, Jay, you mentioned toughness. I think that Villanova is the toughest team in the tournament offense. They play physical offense and they play physical defense. You know, obviously they're going to have to deal with the size of Michigan. Their ability to 
execute offensively and defensively Villanova and stay the course. And, and like their culture, I mean, you, you know, I had a chance to obviously see them a lot when Jackie was at school there. You know, some guys say stuff when they come into a huddle and they have a saying or whatever. Like when those dudes say attitude, they don't say it, they live it. They live their culture. You know, and, you know, it's not a sign or a saying. It's a it's a hundred percent commitment and belief and the physicality of Villanova to each other, to the system, to how they play. They just impose that on their opponent, whether it's Kong Gillespie, who's one of the best guards in the country. You know, like you say, all you can give me all is the things he can't do. The right. dude is one of the best guards in the country. Yes. Right. And I mean, I mean, just the way it is. Uh, Caleb Daniels coming off the bench is a tough matchup. The development of Dixon. You know, I, I've got I've got Nova winning this game, and and I got win this game just literally on they will not beat themselves, and their, and their, and their trust in everything they do. There is no if in anything they do. Good, Bonzo. Well, oh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought we lost you, which was a good thing. But uh, <laughs> would have been. That would have been. Wait a second. That's the meanest thing I've ever heard Fon say. What that, it is nine thirty, and Fon just took a swing at Dallas. I love it. Thanks, my guy. <laughs> but uh, no, same way, Seth is 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 I love the the way that Michigan is playing right now. Remember, they're playing without Devontae Jones, uh, who's in concussion protocol, and to be able to beat a Tennessee team that's one of the best defensive teams uh, in our country is is remarkable. Uh, and yet, uh, this just when I'm tempted because I actually had Tennessee beating Michigan and moving on, so I had Tennessee playing uh, Arizona in the Elite Eight, but. Man, Villanova, they, they, to your point, Seth, they, they, they don't make mistakes. They're not careless with the basketball. They do everything fundamentally sound. And I, 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 I'm looking at the guards of Michigan and the guards of uh, Villanova, and because of the consistency that Nova plays with, I'm going to take them in a close one uh, over Michigan. I think it's going to be close. And uh, to the extent that Villanova has had uh, problems against opponents this year, it's usually come uh, against teams with tremendous size. And and Hunter Dickinson, as you guys know, has tremendous size. And he's you know a very, very skilled lefty. I think he had 27 against Tennessee. Uh, so... Yeah, Villanova um, is is one of the best. Well, first of all, to Seth's point, it's the best culture of any program in America, and I don't hesitate to say that. Uh, what Jay Wright and his staff have built there over the last whatever it is since, since probably since '09, uh, they they had a little little dip after they went to the '09 Final Four, and that's when they really built the culture. Was after that little dip that I think they made significant change in the way they go about things and the way they've recruited and all that. But it's a it's the best culture in the country, uh, and I, I think they're going to beat Michigan. But I, I do think it's going to be close, and and because of two reasons: one is Hunter Dickinson, the other is Eli Brooks, because Eli Brooks is. Uh, He's difficult, man. He's he's really good, and he's a playmaker. Without uh, he kind of lulls you to sleep at times, but um, you know because you don't you don't think of him in the same on the same level as a Jaden Ivy or some of the other stars in the, in the Big Ten. But he puts on star performances. He's really good. No, I think I think that's I guess I guess are spot on. I mean, it's just uh, it really is what what he what he's done. And Jay, you made a great point because. 
they changed how they were recruiting. They went after just the best of the best, the guys that maybe didn't fit, good players, but just didn't fit their culture, got away, got away from it. And then, you know, Jay made a decision, right? Like, I'm going to do it with my guys, and we're going to do it my way. And, uh, you know, I think that's a great lesson for young coaches. You know, you know, stay true to who you are. Stay true to your core beliefs. And when they got back to their core beliefs, I mean, it is amazing when you're around them. They, they live it in every aspect. It's, it's incredible. All right, Kansas and Providence. Fonz, I'll let you go first. I know you're, you have your love affair with, with Remy, and I, I don't blame you. Yeah, I think they're also starting to learn how to play with Remy, which, you know, yes. I think having him back full time is an adjustment for Ochai. It's an adjustment for uh, Christian Brown. It's an adjustment, not as much for Jalen. And I think the play of David's been, uh, McCormick's been a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. Fonz, so who you like? Yes, for those reasons, uh, Seth. Now, I had, I had, I, I got messed up in that, in that portion of the bracket because I had Iowa beating Richmond to begin with. And then Iowa playing uh, KU in the Sweet 16, but now it's Providence who's earned their way there. And for all those reasons that you just said, I, I have KU uh, moving on because the only piece, the only piece, and they still won the Big, <laughs> Big 12, the only piece that they were missing is a dynamic playmaker off the bounce. And Remy Martin's health, as I said earlier on, would determine uh, whether they would be a Final Four caliber team. He's back healthy, making plays. Uh, Duke can go for 20 like that. He had 16 in the first half uh, of their last game uh, against Creighton. And, and, and for me, he's the difference in that team losing in the Sweet six, 16 or moving on to a Final Four. So I have KU moving on. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup because of, of the toughness that, that Providence has at different positions. And They've got some playmakers like Jared Bynum's a playmaker. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Al Durham, who transferred in from from Indiana, uh, can make plays. AJ Reeves can make shots. I've always been impressed. Like I know Nate Watson is a is you know their best interior player, but the guy that has always drawn the most attention for me is uh, Noah Horkler. Yes, because he he can really rebound. He can step out and make a three. He's like a utility uh, utility player. Sounds bad. But it means he can do a bunch of things like he, he really and he defends really well. I think they're going to cause Kansas a lot of problems, but but I think Kansas is the better team. And I had them in the final four from the beginning. I think the bracket has opened up nicely for them. This is not, you know, would they rather play Richmond or something? I think they would. Or Iowa. I think they would rather play Iowa. But, you know, I still think that Kansas is going to move on. I'm I'm blown away. Ed Cooley's he's he's phenomenal. And look, they're old man. They're like this. I think they're the oldest team in college basketball. And our, our players, I call them blend players. I think that's more complimentary. I mean, they blend. They just kind of blend in because they do whatever you need. You don't realize what they're doing. And I think you know, I, I'm big on their pieces fit. Their pieces fit, but so do Kansas is now. Kansas, and you know what, Juan Harris, it, 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 they're going to get 15, 18 min, good minutes out of him. I think that a little bit of pressure off Ochai makes him even more effective at the end of a game where he's obviously been at, you know, he's kind of like the Mariano Rivera. He's really been great at the end of games. And I think that, I think also having a guy that can get in the lane and put pressure to draw the defender up now makes the game easier for David, maybe for some dump offs where he can, he can get a bucket or two, but he's so comfortable. David McCormick's so t- comfortable in his role right now. And, uh, and, and it seems like, Bill is 
you know, he, he, he can get a little snarky with, with his guys. And I, I think he, he really is enjoying this team. Like, let's say, you know, it's maybe not his most talented team, but they're turning into in relation to the field and like talent and team's roster is, is not in relation to last year's field, the year before, 10 years ago. It's in relation to the field they're playing now. Like, you know, we always talk about Gonzaga. There's no, there's no Baylor out there. So I, I have Kansas winning that one. Last one. Iowa State, Miami. Miami doesn't turn it over. Iowa State relies on turning you over 24% of their possessions. Mm-hmm. Iowa State struggles to score. Miami can score pretty easy. They can spread you out. They can open up the floor, which now you're making Iowa State defend more of the floor. Where do you guys see this one? I like yeah. Miami. Yep. It's not just the way the way they're playing. It's the way they play. That five-out offense is so difficult for traditional defenses to guard. I, I think Iowa State can do it because they're, they do have some versatile defenders. It's not like they've got a traditional big guy that uh, you need to pull away from the basket that, that protects the rim. Uh, their physicality is, is uh, going to be an issue for, uh, for Miami, so they better wear their mouth guards and make sure they're firmly in. But with the way Miami plays uh, and the way they can isolate you and drive you with Isaiah Wong and Cam McGusty and Charlie Moore and Jordan Miller, all those guys, and Sam Wardenberg can pick and pop at times. I like Miami to win that game because they can score easier. And, uh, and I think in that type of game, if you, can, if you can score and they can get to the free throw line, I like their ability to, to win that. Yeah, and Iowa State does struggle with turning the basketball over, and that plays to Miami's strength. They're not a great defensive team, but they create a ton uh, of turnovers, and I think that's going to be the biggest factor in this game, and I have Miami moving on. Yeah, I've got Miami also, and uh, Jim Laranega goes to Joe Stonecrabs and just passes the check back on to him because he'll never pay <laughs> for another meal, which is a good thing. So, Jim, if you, if you hear this and you hear all these great things we're saying about you, you can ship those stone crabs. You know, anywhere in America, I won't mention my address. You know it because you sent us a Christmas card. But once a month would be really appreciated because those things are freaking unbelievable. All right. So we, we, we've pontificated and pontificated and beat it up. Fonz, your yes. final four is? Gonzaga in the West, UCLA in the, in the East. Uh, actually, I have to flip that one because now I have North Carolina beating uh, UCLA, and that can't means do that Fonz can't flip. I can, oh, you want me to keep my bracket the same? No, so no, 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 no. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I, I'm going for consistency. I, I'm going to stay with the Zags, UCLA, KU, and Arizona. I am Gonzaga. Feel bad. You feel bad for making a flip? No, no, I don't at all. You know me. <laughs> I don't give a. <laughs> I got Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, and Purdue. And Purdue replaces Kentucky, who I originally had. Otherwise, I've got three of the original four, and I can't change it even if I thought one of them was going to lose because it's not worth the uh, beating you would take. Exactly. Uh, I've got uh, Gonzaga, and now I have Purdue as well. I have Arizona, and I have Kansas. Now, here's the final question of the day. Okay. Because I think I, it's going to make me feel good about myself. Uh, percentile in ESPN. Uh, what's your percentile right now in terms of your brand, your picks, Fonz? I'm not sure what my percentile is. I haven't looked yet. <laughs> you talking about, talking about on our dot com, the one we have up there? I, I yeah. haven't looked. But my my Elite Eight is still intact, with exception of uh, Wisconsin and Iowa and uh, Tennessee. But I have to go look. 
I think my I think if my percentile were used for my eligibility, I would be <laughs> ineligible. <laughs> you didn't pass your SATs? <laughs> not only did I not pass my SATs, I think I was I was reclassed back to eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. But you're an expert. You know nothing. I don't know what I put you on TV. <laughs> That's why I agree. <laughs> Do you get tweets that say things like that? <laughs> um, no, Fonz, they don't save to you, but they save to me and Bellis because you smile a lot more than me. It's easy when you say you when you when you're a grumpy old man like Bellis and myself. <laughs> but it's funny we don't, you know. I think all that stuff's great, and hopefully, fans realize that when we're making these picks, we don't know who's going to win. Right. We're just doing that because this is part of everybody. People pick the Super Bowl. They pick horse races. Doesn't mean you don't like the other horses. You know, we don't know. But one thing they should know is we don't shoot back at them when we're right. You know? so, <laughs> so, like, but the, we understand that's part of being a fan. So we don't take it personally. But but when we're right, we don't start tweeting back at you going, uh-huh. It is funny how personally people take it. Like one of my dear friends who lives in Seattle, he hit me up and he's like, fuck. I can't believe that you didn't pick Notre Dame at winning in the first round. I was like, look, my loyalty and my professional opinion, it can be uh, aligned at times, but oftentimes it's not. I, I, I didn't think we would be able to advance. And he literally took that personally. I had to talk him off a cliff. It's fine. Hey, here's they're, my, they're so invested right. in it. Right. Here's my deal. If we really knew for sure, we'd be like trading places. Looking good, Jay. Feeling good, LaFonzo. <laughs> that's pretty good, Mortimer. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's I mean that's the way it would be. I mean, you want to get it right, but I mean, shoot, I mean, you use your best opinion. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If anyone has any intelligence, they will pay attention to what we just gave them, and they will be brilliant. And if they're not, don't at us. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. At me all you want to. <laughs>